<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio, 1123. Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Introducing the Lowe's List for Innovation. While our aisles are filled with innovative products, we've selected our favorites just for you. Like the exclusive Whirlpool washer with industry-first two-in-one removable agitator. We love this washer because you can customize any load. And with other smart features to streamline your laundry routine, this product is a must-have for families. Shop the full Lowe's list of top picks at Lowe's.com. Lowe's, home to any budget, home to any possibility. U.S. only. All right, it's Film Study with Ken McCusick. We're recording this on Sunday, April 28th, immediately after the NFL draft. And as immediately, I mean a couple days after. Ken McCusick, how you doing? Life's good, Josh. How about you? I'm doing uh, not bad. Busy weekend, but doing all right. And uh, Michael's joining us as uh, what is the new normal. Michael, how you doing? Hey, Josh. Hey, Ken. Glad to be back together uh, with you guys and uh, excited to talk draft. Yeah, it seems like it's been a long time. Since we've talked together, I know we've been talking on Twitter and whatnot, but it seems like a long time since we've gotten together face-to-face over Skype here. Yeah, it's been a little while, um, but we got a lot to dig into, so um, this is, this is, this is going to be fun. Yeah, when the Ravens draft eight players, that's going to force us to put a podcast together. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's the so, start. We thought, they, we thought they were going to get 10 at one point in this draft. <laughs> right, sure. Uh, it's the start of the NFL New Year, so this is the start. The draft is where we're kind of marking things as – these podcasts for now on are for this new season. So do you guys celebrate the start of the NFL season by sitting down and watching all of the draft coverage? Oh, it's a big deal for me. It's something Maureen and I have done for many years together is to watch pretty much the whole draft. I'm on Twitter the, the entire time and trying to 
uh, really take a focus on how each of the picks, particularly the first round, affects the Ravens' chances to get several players that I, I really like. So uh, that was kind of how I view the first round. How about you, Michael? Yeah, I'm a um, big fan, just like you mentioned. Uh, definitely was locked in to the first round and the second round. Uh, Saturdays are tough because I got girls soccer and boys baseball. Uh, so <laughs> I was kind of on my phone when I probably should have been paying more attention to what my kids were doing. But uh, first and second round, yeah, I was, I was definitely all there. All right. Okay, well, I mean, I guess we'll start and we'll we'll start talking. I mean, Eric DaCosta's first draft, obviously a, a, a big news item. I don't even think it's that big a deal to me. I mean, I, I know there's some differences in the way these were done. One thing we did not see in this draft was the DaCosta footprint of a bunch of small school picks. You know, uh, Louisiana Tech is really the smallest school from which the Ravens drafted a player in this draft. Yeah, I mean, he's been there, what, 21, 22 years, something like that. So... Um, obviously he's been involved, uh, in the process. And so, um, I guess just kind of like, uh, as a side note, I mean, I, I guess we're seeing more Oklahoma players and, and no Alabama players. <laughs> so that might be one sort of noticeable change. Uh, and then I know we'll talk about, uh, just the players themselves. I mean, obviously speed is, is one thing that jumps to mind with the guys that they took. So, yeah, I don't, I know there was a lot of questions. He fielded a lot of questions about that leading up to, and, and even like after each round, uh, how was it different? How does it feel? And uh, I, he pretty much echoed just what you said, Ken. Like, it doesn't really feel any different except I'm the guy making the, the final call. Right. I, I, I've In all the years I've heard DaCosta talking after the draft in various forums, there's only one pick that I remember him really distancing himself from and saying, that's Ozzy's guy. And it was a few years ago when they drafted Devon Drew, a tight end. <laughs> and he never, he never amounted to anything, of course, we, or, we, or we'd know. But, uh, you know, fifth-round pick maybe it was at the time. And he really said, no, that's Ozzy's guy. And I've never otherwise heard them not speak with a single voice after the draft. So, you know, they, they obviously they think alike. It's, there's a mentorship thing going on there. And I think, frankly, they both had a lot of impact on each other's decision-making over the years, not just, not just in one direction there. So uh, I, I'm glad to see it. I'm, I'm glad to see DaCosta. Uh, have his first draft and have this job now. I'm a little disappointed he didn't get those last two six-round picks, but we'll get to that later. Was uh, was Ozzy involved at all this year? They've been talking about how he's going to be somewhat still involved in the organization. Was there any knowledge of his involvement leading up to the draft? I, I didn't see him. Actually, I didn't actually see a picture of the Ravens' war room during the draft uh, there, but I guarantee you he was there in the room, probably sitting right next to the Costa still in terms of making the pick. So there's input okay. occurring. Yeah. yeah, I saw a couple. Uh, there were there were a couple like, quick videos, um, and he was there. He was he was right on DaCosta's left. Uh, so, you know, he, he definitely was involved in the process for sure. A couple of years ago, this is an interesting point, DaCosta's computer was up on screen, and, and Lombardi caught that, that the he was on RSR lurking, apparently, <laughs> looking at stuff. So it was pretty cool. They love information, right? That's what they always say. They love information. But I got one thing that I know we 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 wanted to get into uh, sort of at the beginning was, um, I guess, somewhat similar to Ozzy. Uh, we had a trade in the first yeah. round. Uh, yeah. That, so uh, I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, it was an exciting trade, certainly. And and uh, I I don't want to shortcut you here, but I did want to just say from a points perspective, I really liked that trade. It was a very small give up in points, two or three points. Uh, to trade 780 for something like 777. 
Um, given the flatter valuations in this draft, it made a lot of sense to me to move down. And if you look at who the Ravens would have taken, I can't come to any other conclusion other than they would have also picked Marquise Brown at 22 and picked up some spare change by moving down because there are two offensive tackles and a running back, Jacobs, who went in those three picks. And there's just not, not, not one of those players is one the Ravens would have taken, in my opinion. No, I agree with that. Um, and it was it was interesting because it was the, the sort of the first sort of look at it that we had. But I think it kind of repeated itself throughout the draft that teams seem to want to try to move back. Oh, yeah. And hold off for taking wide receivers a little bit. It was almost like a game of chicken. Like, how, how far can we go back and still get the guy that we want uh, and, and maybe pick up, you know, uh, another pick or, or some additional value that way? So that was kind of the first look at it. But uh, he had been connected to the Hollywood, obviously, had been connected to them. Uh, throughout the process. Uh, I think a lot of people who uh, follow this and who know Daniel Jeremiah from NFL Network and obviously his time back in the day here with the Ravens uh, consistently talked about uh, a track team. They wanted to build a track team around Lamar. You kept hearing that speed, speed, speed. Uh, And, you know, what else comes to mind when you think of Hollywood Brown, right? But (laughs) but speed. Speed, speed player for certain. It looked to me, to just to continue with the trade talk for a moment, that when they were at 25, they let the clock run way down before making the pick. I think they wanted to trade down a second time. And I'm not even sure how many times they would have traded down, but probably more than more than that if they could have. Um, so, it, you know, they obviously had their guy picked at 22 because they had to. If they hadn't have, um, it, you know, if they hadn't been able to make a trade, they would have had to pick a player at 22. And certainly they were at the same point at 25. But by letting the clock run down to the end, it doesn't really serve any purpose unless you're trying to trade that pick. So um, it, I think, you know, I would have been happy with another trade down. I would have been happier, I think, if the Ravens had taken Montez Sweat or if they had taken um, uh, Cody Ford, perhaps, at that position. But, you know, Marquise Brown, quality player, quality draft pick, and we'll, we'll, we certainly want to want to spend some time talking about him. Yeah, just the the last thing I'll I'll piggyback on on the trade talk too was um obviously they have good relationships with Philadelphia uh, and so you know you you see them sort of do business that way and uh, I'd imagine if they uh, could have done another deal with Philly they probably would have gone back even more uh, actually I I thought they were gonna maybe try to go back um, like out of the first round entirely uh, mm-hmm. and and try to get into the second that's sort of what I thought. And that might have been an option, you know, that might have been something they were trying to pursue. But, um, you know, obviously it didn't it didn't work out uh, in, in a way that they were willing to to pull the trigger on that. So uh, but on Hollywood. Yeah. Um, we talked about the speed. Uh, I guess we should get this out of the way right off the top. Uh, size is a big concern for a lot of people because, uh, you know, he weighed in at one hundred sixty six pounds at the combine. Uh, he said he didn't play that light throughout the season. Uh um, and that obviously the Liz Frank injury had some impact uh, on on that weight situation there. Um, you know, in his words, that that's again, I don't want to I don't want to put words in his mouth, but that's that's what he said. But when you look at a field stretching threat uh, in college football, um, you know, he's the first guy that jumps to mind. Uh, who knows what he actually runs in terms of like forty yard dash time, but. Had a ton of explosive plays, uh, which I define as, as uh, if we're talking about pass plays, pa- uh, pa- pass plays over 20 yards uh, or more. ton of those. Uh, we saw him do it two years ago with Baker Mayfield. We saw him do it again this year with Kyler Murray. Um, just the ultimate sort of take the top off the defense kind of guy. And, and also a yak guy, too. You know, it's not just about deep routes. Uh, right. He can catch some shorter stuff underneath, make guys miss. And uh, 
what's what's so lethal about it is just if you miss a tackle or take a poor angle, he's gone. I mean, you're not, you're not going to catch him. So um, that that's really what's exciting about about him to me. We really haven't seen that uh, on 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 this team in a while. No, it's that's uh, certainly true, and I think College Yak can be a little bit uh, deceiving because it's all over the place, and oftentimes critical mass of weapons leads to additional yak for the really top players. So a, a really great receiver playing on otherwise not that great offense won't necessarily pile up, pile up great yak numbers, but a great receiver playing on a, a great offense with lots of, lots of weapons across the board, a lot of opportunity for big yak numbers. And, you know, obviously playing in the Big 12 probably is going to be a plus for Yak as well. Yeah, yeah. They're not known for defense out there. So um, <laughs> there's definitely probably going to be some more of those opportunities playing against those Big 12 defenses. One thing that interests me looking at some of his numbers, um, obviously all of the numbers in the passing game uh, are there. But if this is right, and this is according to uh, College Football Reference, which is kind of a subsidiary of uh, Pro Football Reference, we had three rushing attempts in two years that for, for zero yards that that really surprised me because I sort of thought about him as like a jet sweep kind of guy. Oh, yeah. uh, but I think when I went back and watched some of the games, they use that jet action or jet motion. They don't really hand it to him uh, a whole lot, but they will sort of flare it out to him. Right. And so to me, those are just extensions of the run game, even though you didn't hand it to him. If he's sort of just working out to the flat and maybe moving upfield a yard, if that, and then you're giving him like a four or five yard pass. I mean, that really is just an extension of the run game, too. Do they have any any pitch built into that? Because a forward pitch often is it's a run play, but it's not. It's but it's but it counts as a pass play if the quarterback doesn't hand it directly to the receiver. We've seen that at the pro game a little bit, but it depends on on how they line up in the shotgun and whether or not they they use that particular methodology with pitch versus a. A handoff, and I, I would think with Jackson, it's going to want to be mesh concepts. It's going to be want to be probably not pitches, pitches most of the time. But that was one of the first things I thought of with Hollywood: is how the Ravens going to use him? And it just seems natural if you think about looking back to players like Tavon Austin. Um, you know, they, it's natural to want to use those guys as jet sweep, and more importantly, Jackson's workload has to be reduced as a runner. So the two guys they got in this draft who can really help with that, actually probably three if you if you include uh, McSorley, but they have they have three guys with Hill, McSorley, and and um, and Hollywood who can really reduce Jackson's workload, and that those those playmakers in space, and that includes in the backfield, that they can they can get the ball into the hands of that will still accentuate their their power run game. Yeah, that's a must, like reducing his his workload in the run game. That is an absolute must. That guy's not going to survive 16 games carrying the ball uh, the way. And that's not about him. That's any quarterback is not going right. to survive 16 games in the NFL carrying the ball uh, that much. And, you know, so there's obviously that 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 potential use uh, in, in the run game. But um, something else that also interests me is I was kind of looking through some of the Ravens numbers. Um of QBs that had at least 200 dropbacks, and you know, I had to kind of drop the number down since Lamar didn't play the whole season. Uh, they utilize the most play action with him. He's 42 percent more than anybody in the league. Okay, um, well, they're defining play action a certain way because obviously it's it's the mesh run pass option stuff they're counting as play action because he didn't turn his back to the defense 42 percent of the time. Yeah, and that's and but see to me those still I, I look at it in terms of is it a play that's intended to look like a run, but it's not. 
Yeah. So whether you actually, yeah. So whether you turn your back or don't turn your back, if, if the intent is to make it look like a run when it's not, then I'm 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 fine with sort of the broader definition on that. Um, but I think you know a guy like Hollywood again, and and, and really anybody I guess who's 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 fast, when you have eyes in the backfield, linebackers are looking mm-hmm. in the backfield, safeties are looking in the backfield. It doesn't take much uh, for a guy with that kind of speed to get behind the defense, and then mm-hmm. of course you got to complete the pass. But at least you know in terms of a strategic. Uh, you know, sort of approach to it that that seems like a really good fit there. And um, um, I'll, I'll kick it back to you if you had anything else you want to say about Hollywood. But one thing I wanted to, to squeeze in was I thought what was pretty cool uh, about him is that before he was at Oklahoma, uh, he was at the College of the Canyons in California. Uh, apparently, he had some late qualifying issues out of high school uh, and some of the bigger schools kind of didn't didn't offer him right away. Uh, but in California, you're not allowed to offer athletic scholarships in California junior colleges. So mm-hmm. he had to work to help supplement tuition. He worked at Six Flags. As a roller coaster. Well. Yeah. <laughs> Which I thought was pretty cool. Yeah, that's pretty, that it definitely is, is pretty cool. Um, you know, this, it's two ways Marquise Brown is going to help you at least. I mean, it's probably more, many more ways than that. But obviously, if you take the top off the defense, that's an extra critical defender that has to be cognizant of him. And that's one of those two safeties. The one on his side is going to have to be kept more honest than he would otherwise be against the Ravens. You know, if we see the way Tony Jefferson likes to get to the line of scrimmage, likes to fill behind players like Kenny Young or, or Owasso and, and be in a spot to make a good play against the run or come off the edge himself and make the play. Safeties will not be able to do that as much against the Ravens I, I don't think you can really play a ton of single high unless you're playing the single high on Marquise's side. And then, you know, you've got some opportunities to get other receivers open, too. you got all the tight end mismatches the Ravens create. It just I, the picks on offense do a great job of supplementing the run game, I think. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more as these players go because, you know, we got some run blocking. we got some good speed on the outside to supplement the inside. Um, but, but what I like most about about Marquise Brown is his ability to take, take the top off the defense Keep that safety honest. We already know the edge players got to be honest, right? We know they have yes. to be honest because of because of Lamar. So that really creates some great level two opportunities. Last year, if you look at Gus Edwards, who is a very average big back, he's not a great big back. We, we, we love what he did, but he's not a great big back. He had marvelous yards after contact numbers in the middle of the field. And that's a function of two things. First of all, he's a downhill runner, and he probably is really good at getting the first yards after contact, which is excellent. But more importantly, his contact was rarely coming with a defensive lineman. Defensive linemen don't miss tackles, and defensive linemen uh, you know, tend to really have a dragging effect on that, on that player. Plus, they often meet the player in the backfield where, where you get zero uh, yards after contact. But when he gets to level two or level three even, and that first contact is on a safety, or if it's on a linebacker and it's not completely square, Gus Edwards is going to ram it right down his throat for extra yardage. And and those, it's very important for the Ravens to continue to be able to create those level two and level three contact, first contact opportunities for Edwards. And Marquise Brown is a type of player who can help that to occur by allowing one less gap to be filled by a cheating safety. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree with that even more because schematically um, that safety that you mentioned on that side who wants to come down and feel against the run. If Marquise Brown is releasing and it even remotely looks like a pass route, that guy's got to hold up. He can't mm-hmm. come down with his hair on fire uh, or it's 
potential for a house call over over his head. And so just the thought of that, what that does psychologically to a safety, even if that's not going to happen, even if it truly is him just kind of stalk blocking or whatever, those guys have to hold up. And that's all it takes to create those creases that you just mentioned in the run game. So it not only creates the crease, but then also it creates um, sort of less than optimal angles because now you're hesitating to come to the ball. And, you know, like you said, with a guy like Gus, obviously he can kind of power through some of that. But then if you look at a guy who I know we'll talk about later, Justice Hill, you take a bad angle on him with a guy that runs 4-4 flat, there's another house call. So, I mean, all of these things sort of make sense from a schematic standpoint, and that that's that really makes you feel good about, uh, you know, taking a, a player like that, uh, and and despite, you know, uh, the, the physical profile. Yeah, there's there, there are ways in which he's really not going to help the Ravens. I do not believe, despite whatever effort he may put in, that he's going to be that much of a downfield run block asset to the Ravens, uh, you know, or downfield, frankly, after the pass, uh, you know, there'll be some passes to tight ends where he has an opportunity to block a corner, block a safety. Um, you know, he's just, he's smallish and it is a, it is a, uh, a giveaway that the Ravens talked a lot about before the draft, not giving up on was giving up on run blocking from their receivers. And I think they did a better job with their third pick uh, in, in terms of getting a, a fantastic run blocking player or prospect anyway. Um, but but Marquise Brown is not that. There's there's no, been, Mar- there's been okay. There's been well, I wanted to move on to. Uh, there's been comparisons out in the media the past couple of days of Marquise Brown. One of them, of course, to his cousin Antonio Brown. So I'm wondering if you guys think that's too high of expectations to put on this guy, as well as comparing the Marquise Brown Lamar Jackson combo to a Deshaun Jackson Michael Vick combo. Do you see any? value in either of those comparisons Deshaun Jackson is a much more fair comparison for Marquise Brown Antonio Brown's one of the greatest receivers of all time you know you could you could make the argument he's number one uh Jerry Rice might might complain about it but you could make the argument that 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 uh in the modern game yeah I mean Jerry Rice is modern game too but uh, at least I think of him I'm old so he's the modern game to me but uh but yeah, uh, I, I certainly would say that that uh, uh, you know that's an unfair comparison to to put Marquise Brown in that in that company right now. He may earn his way into it, but um, you know Deshaun Jackson is more of a physical match for it. Deshaun Jackson had a had a great career, so uh, uh, you know if if that's where Marquise Brown ends up, I'm sure I wouldn't have a problem with it. How about you, Michael? No, no, absolutely not. Uh, and I'm 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 right there with you. Um, it's it's always makes me a little uncomfortable <laughs> with like picking the best guy uh, to, to think about what a player could be. I mean, I understand why people do it. I do it myself too. I'm guilty of it as anybody, um, but I'm always a little, little squeamish about that. But yeah, definitely in terms of um, stylistically uh, in terms of play style. Yeah. You could definitely see uh, that, that comparison sort of aligning a little bit better with uh, Deshaun Jackson, but um, along those lines of, of a, a comparison, a stylistic comparison, I guess, you know, if we want to talk about their next pick, which, you know, obviously they had some time uh, since they didn't pick in round two, uh, Jalen Ferguson, right? Is is there, you know, you've heard people already say that maybe there's some stylistic comparison uh, to Terrell Suggs. Again, we're not comparing him to the player because we're talking about one of the greatest pass rushers in the in right. history, but stylistically, and then obviously there's a connection there between those two guys, isn't there? Uh, so Jalen set the all-time sack record, broke uh, Suggs's record, and Suggs. I, I mean, people sometimes they remember, sometimes they don't. Just how um, mixed people were in their view of Terrell Suggs, and thankfully the Ravens of that era also went by the tape, not by the draft measurables nearly as much in the combine. 
uh, where where Ferguson is is a uh, I, let's see, I, I do not even have combine numbers on him, but but anyway, I, my understanding was maybe perhaps from pro day and whatnot that he wasn't special in terms of his measurables. He certainly was playing in a conference that's not one of the Power Five, so you've got that going against him. But he is undeniably a huge productive pass rusher, and it's just very exciting for the Ravens to go after a guy like that. And you know, last year Antonio, sorry, not Antonio Brown, uh, Orlando Brown was that same sort of player that had great tape and terrible measurables. So I, I'm liking the pick. Yeah, I do too. I do too. I mean, this is another one of those classic cases. I and mean, we, we hear this cliche all the time. You know, he's a better football player uh, than, than a tester, right? Uh, I've got the pro day numbers that Gil Brandt uh, tweeted out. And they're really, aside from the agility testing, they're really not that bad. I mean, his 40 was 4.82, which if you compare that uh, on a site like Bob Draftable, yeah, that's the mean for an edge rusher. 32-inch uh, vertical jump, 33 was the mean. 9-9 uh, broad jump, 9-7 was the mean. But what, step, what stands out, obviously, are the agility drills. Uh, a 5.12 short shuttle, uh, an 8.08 three-cone. Uh, the means on those are 4.42 and 7.23, so those stand cool. out. But... If you look, though, if you look at the video, it was Patrick Claibon who actually tweeted out a couple of videos of him running the three cone because he ran it a couple different times. His first rep, he completely slipped and fell to the ground on his first rep. And so on the second rep, you could tell just looking at him, he was a guy who's like, let me just get through this without falling down. <laughs> and I think that slows you down when you're trying to get through a drill. You know, you're not going to go full out. Uh, you know, and really try to get that that top top number because you're like, well, wait a minute, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to do that again. So, uh, does that does that completely excuse it? No, no. I mean, he he probably is just not going to do well in those kinds of drills. But on the field, uh, look, this guy's the real deal on the field. He's he he's a he's a power rusher. Uh, he's not necessarily one of those super flexible edge bendy type of guys, but uh, he's a bull rush rip speed to power. Uh, really, really good with his hands. I mean, really good with his hands in terms of timing, placement, technique. Um, and, you know, his get-off, when I, when I say not super, you know, flexible, edgy, uh, edge bender, he does have a good get-off. It was, it was a little inconsistent to me at times on, on, on some of his tape, but when he turned it on, he looked like he was shot out of a cannon. And so he, he could get that outside speed rush when, when he really turned it on uh, at times. And, and turn on is probably even the wrong way to say it because – Sometimes you have to to think about the context of that. Like, what are these guys asked to do in certain situations? You know, is he coming off on the snap of the ball? Is he coming off on the movement of the man? Is he reading something different on a particular kind of play? So I don't I, I sometimes have to catch myself when I'm like, oh, that was inconsistent. Well, I don't have all the information. There might have been other factors that caused him to sort of play a different way uh, on a snap by snap basis. But, yeah, I'm 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 with you. This this guy. Uh, looks like a really, really, you know, impressive pass rusher to me. Yeah. One fear I have is that a lot of the positive acclaim that he gets is from being a very heavy handed pass rusher. And that is something when the quality of competition moves up, you know, not only do you have players who are a lot harder to punch, but you have players who counter punch better and will be able to get him off his game easier than probably the level of player he was playing at regularly. I, I, I want to watch some tape on him and really get a better sense of it. And that's one of the things I'll look at was what you just mentioned was how quick is his get off? And I, I wish I had some 
actual DVR footage of him because then I can get it down to a 30th of a second or even a 60th of a second. But, um, but even, even just watching it to see how does he get up relative to the other linemen on that same Louisiana Tech line? How quickly do they get off on that offensive snap and really see if he's, um, if he's there? But anyway, I, I'm, I'm excited to see that. There are two questions for me about Jalen Ferguson. Number one is, can he stand up and play outside linebacker where he is right now? Because if he can't, and I, th- I think he probably can. I think they're going to try and make him into either probably a rush linebacker. And they do have Sam assets already who can cover in both uh, Bowser and um, and Judon. So if they if they if they stick him at the rush spot, then he's got more of that quarterback responsibility, not on the tight end side and has a better chance to, uh, you know, just be a pass rusher, at least as a rookie. So that that was that number question number one question is can he stand up? I don't see him being a, a a three down player as a rookie. I don't know about you, Michael. Where are you on that? Yeah, I've got some questions about run defense right now. Uh, I I don't know if I'm super comfortable with it just in terms of um, maintaining leverage on the ball. That was kind of one of the, the the issues that I had is just you know now so I'll wrap this into this so. He did line up in a two-point stance at seven technique or nine technique a couple of times. Uh, he was in a five technique, and so that's something that might also factor in to mm-hmm. some of that get-off discussion when he's lining up there at five technique. Sometimes your responsibilities are a little different than just you know coming off the ball like your hair is on fire. Um, but seven and nine, you know, you're typically outside shade on the tight end, or even a little bit wider if you're in a mm-hmm. nine. Just just to kind of level set, because uh, I know I throw around a lot of terminology sometimes. Picture it this way: so like a seven technique. Um, typically is going to line up on the outside shoulder of the tight end. And in terms of run defense, he's probably going to have a contained player outside of him, right? So he's going to have a force player outside of him. Now, nine technique is going to have that same player, but inside of him. So now the nine technique is responsible for contain and forcing everything back in. And he may have a field player who's going to come inside of him. But a seven technique is responsible for sort of being that field player. And then there's a contained player outside of him. So, um, that's that's just something that um, I think is important to keep in mind when you look at those guys outside. Because sometimes you see them out there and you're like, oh, well, they do the same thing. Well, they almost do, but that's yeah. all. That's that's really almost the only way you can can make the distinction between which one of those techniques they're playing. So um, that's my biggest concern is the run defense, and and it and it really is kind of a a, a more magnified concern because I'm not sure I feel great about Tim Williams or Tyus Bowser doing that either right now. So well, that's that's even a bigger concern for me. Williams is the guy because Williams is the guy who needs to mature as the rush linebacker the Ravens need him to be this year, not later, this year as a year three player. Now, last year he showed signs of being a good run defender in camp and preseason, and I thought he looked really good, particularly in the preseason against the run. So uh, I, I'm still hopeful on that on that ga- on on that case. But moving back to Ferguson for a moment and what his role might be on this team, then there's, there's a couple possibilities. One is he could move to the inside and play some of that inside with one larger interior rusher. A lot of what uh, what Zadarius Smith did last year in terms of, of of lining up on the inside. I think that's possible. I think also he will benefit tremendously from having his snap count reduced as a rookie. He played a lot of snaps at Louisiana Tech. Not all of them, but but a lot of them. You know, And so in a, in a 12-game season, he's probably playing 50, 50 55 snaps a game uh, you know, for, for these teams. And that's a, that's a lot for an edge player to play. Even if you're you know, a very productive edge player, you, that's just a lot of snaps. 
So he's gonna he's gonna be 25 to 30 percent of the snaps. I think 25 to 35. Let's say max as a rookie. I do not see him with more than that. With with the you know a four man rotation at least at outside linebacker. With the possibility the Ravens still might go out and acquire somebody as a pass rusher yep. before the season starts. And you we saw how much trouble Williams and Bowser had getting on the field their first two years. Now obviously Terrell Suggs was there, so it was a you know ends an area, so it was different different situation. But I still expect, even with the the you know a little bit less talent at the position, that Jalen Ferguson is going to be fighting for snaps as a rookie, and uh, he will benefit from how Martindale keeps him more rested to get to either get off inside, and I really want to see if he's got that thunderous first step to get between a double team on the inside, because that will dictate a lot of how the Ravens' pass rush can be effective around him, how they can shoot a linebacker after him. You know, but Owasso and and uh, uh, Young may have more success rushing the passer from the inside if they can if they can get Jalen to, to, to take a double team once in a while. And when he's rushing from the outside, which probably will still be most of his opportunities uh, there, you know, a, a rested rusher against a tackle is just a, a, a more optimal thing. And I expect him to be facing a left tackle more often than a tight end based on who he is and who the Ravens' alternatives are at the same spot. Yeah, uh, obviously a more rested guy is going to be fresher. Um, but when you do um, start to watch him, one thing uh, I'd be interested in your opinion on, and it kind of showed up to me, is that when it was the money down, when it was third down, that's when he was on. That's when you saw pressures. That's when you saw strip sacks. That's when you saw sacks, like particularly against LSU. You know, which is, you know, power five school on third down. That's when he was at his best. Um, one one kind of cool nugget. I know I like throwing these cool nuggets in. This kind of got reported too on, on Thursday on the first day of the draft. He was actually out uh, helping uh, some victims of a tornado that kind of ripped through Ruston, Louisiana, which is where he's from. Uh, apparently his family was fine. Everybody was good. Uh, but he was sort of just going through the neighborhood, like passing out bottled water and uh, sort of checking on people, which I think is super cool um, for him to do that. Yeah, good to hear. I, I, you know, I, I like the human interest stories. I, I really want to know that he's into playing football. And that obviously was a concern the Ravens had. They brought him in three times. I think you're the one who told me that. I didn't know it. Somebody told me it. To, so somebody told it to me. And what that tells me is not only do they like the guy, but they probably have some personal concern. So, uh, you know, what I what I had heard stated was that coachability was a concern for Jalen Ferguson. And obviously that's something Harbaugh has not taken kindly to in some other players. Tim Williams most recently last year obviously was doghoused a little bit for not staying in shape, not being as prepared as he should have been. And Jalen Ferguson can't look at himself as a one-play playbook of go get the quarterback. Because if he is, he'll, he'll, he'll really get Harbaugh's hair standing up on the back of his neck or whatever the get, getting angry analogy ought to be. Uh, he, he will not make him a happy man. No, no, but I, I, I and I hope, you know, that he doesn't run into that because um, I think that's probably one of the things that is kind of holding Tim Williams back a little bit. I mean, all of the ability is there. Um, I think that that probably is kind of working against him. So hopefully we don't see that with Jalen. Uh, I'm happy Wink is still around. Obviously, he got a lot of buzz in the offseason about maybe he could consider some other job possibilities because I think Wink is a guy that when you listen to all those defensive players, you don't hear anybody who doesn't love playing for that guy. I mean, he just seems to really be able to connect with players all different ages, all different levels. Uh, and I think that's really important, particularly if there is 
a guy coming in, a young guy coming in, and maybe there are some of those coachability concerns out there. I think, you know, a guy like that who can really connect with a wide range uh, of, of players uh, in terms of personality types, um, you know, really can be a, a helpful thing to, to a guy like that. Yeah, it'd be it'd be good if he could get through to Ten Williams. Um, you know, obviously Harbaugh is upset with him, but I would some of that's got to fall to Wink. Wink has to get that guy excited about playing defense, about you know playing within the system, about learning the system. What I noticed from Tim Williams last year was that he was very good about learning the special teams drill and got a lot of praise from Rosberg in terms of his special teams play. And then come the regular season, he had the injury concerns. Obviously, he came back. Seemed to be, you know, everybody's like, why isn't he playing? He's healthy again. But he kept being a healthy scratch because he was not in shape or not prepared. One of those two. Um, And the Ravens, obviously, they could have really used a pass rusher down the stretch. Yeah, yeah, that's that's it was it was kind of an unfortunate thing that happened. I mean, obviously, they ended up manufacturing pressure and getting pressure from other guys in in some other ways. But uh if he can take that step that we kind of saw through the preseason and the early part of next season, um, they could really have something cooking uh, in, in terms of trying to replace Suggs and replace the Darius Smith uh, in, in their pass rush. You know, it could, obviously there could, there, there's probably going to be, you know, some difference. I don't like using the word drop off cause I don't know who the hell knows, uh, but there'll be some difference, uh, but maybe it won't be, as bad uh, if we can get these two guys sort of coming in, you know, off the right, right off the jump playing, playing at a high level. So, um, you know, we'll see. I'm excited about that, but uh, I'm also excited about another wide receiver, uh, you know, two wide receivers in, 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 you know, the first three rounds. Uh, I, I forget the the tweet, but somebody said that that's the first time that had happened in some span of time, you know, just in this draft, you know, they took two wide receivers in the first three rounds, but over some period span of time, they hadn't done that in, in, in forever. Uh, so Miles Boykin, uh, guy from Notre Dame, big guy, um, Miles Boykin is, is is sort of the opposite of Jalen Ferguson, right? In in, oh, in the yeah. respect of in terms of athletic testing, this guy was like in the you know highest percentile uh, among NFL athletes who tested at the combine in terms of what he did there. So uh, that's pretty exciting. Um, we can get into some of the 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 you know down in the weed stuff a little bit later, but um, I I was really excited because he was a guy who when I was watching wide receivers. Uh, sort of stood out for me. Uh, I thought he really caught the ball well, sort of a natural hands catcher. Um, had a little bit of concern with, you know, releases and how he came off the ball. Uh, I think when he's got space and he's got time to sort of work up, uh, you know, work up speed, uh, he's a hard guy to stay with. But in terms of, like, you know, if you get up in his face and you try to jam him, you know, sort of quick foot fire releases and that kind of thing, not sure he's quite there yet. Uh, but back to your point that you made earlier about blocking, Love his competitive toughness as a blocker. I mean, he will go in there on linebackers, not just DBs and safeties, and try to put them on the ground. So I, I do like to see that. So, yeah, lots of things you mentioned there. Let me see if I can try and catch up here. So for, for starters, in terms of the blocking, I think that's one of the reasons they really liked him so much. 33-and-a-half-inch arms. That's uh, offensive lineman length in terms of, of arms. And he's a big guy, so he's going to use his size well against players the players he typically has to block are going to be corners and safeties. They're not going to be linebackers. But when he does have to block a linebacker, he's not at a complete disadvantage. You mentioned the measurables. He's got an unbelievable full umbrella of combine measurables. The RAS people absolutely love him in terms of his elite score across the board in all categories. 
Um, it, it's just a, I've never seen anyone who tested uh, as well across the board in every category. Maybe Metcalf was uh, was similar, but uh, but Boykin is really really special in those terms. It's as a receiver that my concerns are. So we start with his ability to play through contact, and you kind of mentioned this. If he's got space, well, that's every receiver. Every receiver, if they have space, can run their route and can, you know, just be free and clear to to move through the thing. This is the problem is Boykin, is he going to be able to get through contact to not be slowed by it so much that his contested catch rate goes through the roof? And there were multiple problems at Notre Dame that kept his catch rate down to only 55 percent. First was quarterback play. And a lot of scouts have blamed much of his lousy catch rate on bad quarterback rate. He had a very low drop rate, by the way, that went with the 55% catch rate. So it's not that. So the problem comes down to two things. It's the bad quarterbacks not putting the ball on the money, and it's him being in too many contested catch situations because he doesn't really play through contact that well. So that's my, my fear about Boykin, and what he needs to get through at the NFL level is, how do I get past that guy who's trying to press me or that guy who intercepts my route. I don't mean intercepts the football, but moves on his route in such a way that he has to change the way he has to move through through that contact. So that'll be interesting for him. And I think that's the biggest question I have for him. I love the fact that he's an outside receiver, a pure outside receiver, because the Ravens have a stable of slot ponies right now that I don't even know how they're going to get them all on the field. They won't get them on the field all at once. That's clear. But they don't have a lot of outside receiving threat. Um, he clearly is a guy. I think Seth Roberts is a guy they're going to use on the outside because of his size. And then a lot of the other guys, I mean, they're they're really primarily slot guys. I don't know. Hollywood, do you see him lining up? What percentage in the slot would you guess for him? Uh, well, according to uh, SIS, Sports Information Solutions, they did a, a handbook uh, this year for the draft. He was at 20 percent uh, in the slot in OU. That's it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. He, and, and Boykin was at 20 percent, uh, which was kind of interesting. Um but, you know, just watching the film, uh, Hollywood lined up at X, um, you know, a fair amount. And it's going to be different, obviously, in, in the NFL than it was in college. I think in college, teams are really scared to, like, press him. Because if you miss, he gets immediate vertical access, and you're not going to catch it. So I think there was a little bit more of a fear of doing that uh, in college. And like you mentioned, too, particularly in the Big 12. In the NFL, uh, guys aren't going to have necessarily that same fear. <laughs> they're going to come up and they're going to get in your face and they're going to make you prove uh, that you can get past them at the line of scrimmage. Uh, another thing that SIS, because they have some of these advanced stats that SIS charted that I thought was interesting was a uh, deep percentage. So a route uh, that has an A dot that was 15 yards or more. Uh, Miles Boykin actually had a higher uh, deep percentage than uh, Marquise Brown. Not by much, 53% to 42%. But I, I actually thought that was pretty interesting. It's uh, not really surprising to me. I mean, Brown had his average catch in his college career, four-year college career, was 11.8 yards from the line of scrimmage. That's a deep threat of deep threats. So he's an outside jump ball guy. He, he really is not a big yak guy. Uh, never really has been, Boykin. But he's 11.8 yards is his average catch in terms of the, the yards from the line of scrimmage. Yeah, and on your drop, your drop point, you you hit it right on the head. They have him for seven drops and 138 targets. Um, mm-hmm. Now you can obviously get into you know some definitional definitional stuff there. What's a catchable target as opposed to a non catchable target? But however you want to dice that up, that's a, that's a really, yeah that's a really good rate. Um, but yeah, to to your point again about the space thing, yeah, I, I think 
I think what you can do with you, because I think we saw this with Perryman playing through contact, you know, like we saw a little bit of that when he was healthy and on the field. I think what you can do to try to help young guys who are sort of developing that skill. And I think uh, Sean McVay and Kyle Shanahan do this better than anybody in the league is they create free releases by using formation and alignment, right? So bunches, stacks, motion, motion. things where cornerbacks can't get on the line and press you uh, to allow those guys to get into their route. Now, that doesn't mean you still won't have to play through some contact in route because that happens too. Obviously, NFL corners get very physical uh, at the top of route stems and stuff like that. So you still have to deal with some of that. But I think it gives you a better percentage opportunity to get into your route and maybe create a little bit more space for yourself until you can kind of develop a little bit more uh, uh, comfortable uh, you know, comfortable nature with playing through that physical contact um, at the NFL. And so what we've had in previous years was Marty, and we didn't really see a whole lot of that kind of usage from Marty. Now we've got Greg Roman, and, you know, will we see it? We don't, you know, you can go back and look at what he's done in some of his previous stops, uh, and, and I think he does it to some extent. But, you know, will we, how much will we see it now? Because, you know, this is, this is you know, a new, a new offense. So yeah. uh, I'd love to see them do that because I think that really can help young guys out who are trying to work through that. Yeah, I mean, they're really set personnel-wise to do an awful lot of that. First of all, a lot of the Ravens' motion in their basic formations last year was from the tight end moving back into the line of scrimmage to make a key block on a run play, okay? But when they're th- – that, that takes away some of the motion opportunity – for a player like, say, Brown, a smaller guy, or Justice Hill, perhaps, when he's on the field, to, to try and get free with motion. But this this team is perfectly set to run pick routes with a body like Boykin and another body that you, you feel perfectly comfortable flexing out, like Mark Andrews, yeah. you know, that, that are, are, you can put them in a bunch formation the way we've seen it from Pittsburgh for years, and you can see a lot of stone pillars with the one guy they're trying to break off and get free from that. So uh, I, I like it a lot. I like what Boykin brings us in that part of the game, I think, would be would be significant. Well, and you mentioned Justice Hill. So, I mean, uh, if, if you're ready to, to, to jump over to him, we can do that. One thing I will add about Boykin, wore number 81 at Notre Dame. Uh, grew up a big Calvin Johnson fan who also wore 81 in Detroit. But he doesn't wear 81 because of that. He wears 81 to honor his brother, George, who's two years older than him who uh, also played basketball, football, soccer in high school, but suffered a concussion that actually prohibited him from uh, playing any more contact sports. Uh, but he also wore 81. And so uh, Miles wears 81 to honor his brother. So, you know, I love the human interest. Uh, so I like to throw that in there. But uh, just, just go ahead. I'm sorry. Tim Brown wore number 81 at Notre Dame. Yep. I know. Okay. That's a good, it's a good number. It's like 44 at Syracuse. It's one of the ones that's always uh, desired and the next player. That's that's hey, if we could have that outcome, that's another good we talked about uh, Antonio Brown earlier. We could have a Tim Brown outcome. That'd be pretty good. too. <laughs> yeah, We'll take it. We'll take it. Uh, How about so, Justice Hill? Yeah, Justice Hill uh, continuing, you know, running back out of Oklahoma State, uh, continuing with that speed theme uh, four four flat uh, at the combine. Uh, so that's that's obviously a pretty good number. Uh, he didn't do any of the agility drills at the combine. He had a 40 inch vertical, 10 foot, 10 broad jump. Uh, 21 reps on the bench, take that for what it's worth. Uh, and then even at his pro day, didn't work out. Uh, and so I, I, I knew he missed a couple of games this season with injury. I don't remember exactly when those occurred, so I don't know if there was anything there at the end of the season that maybe impacted him, you know, not sort of doing those agilities. I don't want to speculate on that. Um, but, you know, really fast guy with the ball in his hands. 
pretty good ability to make people miss in open space. Ran in that, uh, you know, in some ways, there's some similar concepts in that Oklahoma State offense in terms of a lot of gun pistol action, a lot of mesh action, um, you know, a lot of RPO action. Uh, so that that obviously seems like a natural fit. Um, one thing I'll, I'll, I'll throw this one in right off the top that really stood out to me as I was kind of doing some background on him. Uh, really decorated guy. If you look at the awards and the things that he did as a freshman and even a sophomore in the Big 12, highly decorated guy. Uh, but this one really stood out. So he averaged 100 rushing yards per game in his career. Only three other Oklahoma State running backs did that. Barry Sanders, Sanders yeah. Thurman Thomas, and Terry Miller, who I admit I don't know Terry Miller. Uh, but that's still pretty impressive, uh, uh, you know, to, to do that. Okay, I'm old. So I think I remember Terry Miller as being a guy who was drafted in the same draft as Earl Campbell. So they, those two, there was a question at one point about who would be drafted. And I don't think there's really a question, obviously. They, they, <laughs> but, uh, but Terry Miller was one of the top draft picks, I recall, from that draft. I may have it wrong. I may be thinking about another draft. Let's get back to Justice Hill for a second. Um, Hill had 631 college carries. That is not an insignificant amount of tread wear. Now, here's the good news. The Ravens only really care about the next four years out of Justice Hill. That's really a callous way to say it, but you know, most running backs are one-contract players. Uh, being a fourth-round pick, it's unlikely that, that Hill will play for the Ravens past the 2022 season. So, uh, you know, he's, he's certainly decorated as a good way. You know, in some ways, I like a guy who's shown a lot, but has not done it in too many carries at the, at the college level. That's a hard thing to do, obviously. But 29 touchdowns, not terrible, of course, a good, good number for that many carries. Only five fumbles in 600-plus carries. So I was, uh, I was happy with that number, seeing it. He did not fumble in 2018. So that's a, that's a positive as I look at it. You know, going through how the Ravens might use uh, Hill, what it seems like to me is you don't use him as a single back the way the Ravens run the football. He brings two. I mean, you can, but I'm going to say, and, and they will some, but he's even more useful if you could use him as a flanker in a one receiver set. Your you motion, he's the guy you motion through the backfield, and then you also have a power back that can give you that double run threat that the Ravens love so much. And not have to use uh, uh, Jackson for every carry. Yeah, and they showed a little bit of that last year with Ty Montgomery once they brought him in. Sometimes they would sort of flex him out and then have him kind of be the jet guy um, uh, at times. So I can definitely see uh, them, you know, sort of implementing justice that way. I know one thing um, that you mentioned on Twitter that I, I thought would be, be cool to talk about uh, was how he could fit on third down. Could he fit on third down? I mean, obviously, uh, he didn't have a ton of receptions at Oklahoma State. I, I know, again, I mentioned he missed some games this year, but uh, he did run 101 routes, according to SIS. Uh, so, you know, he did have some involvement in terms of running routes in the passing game. So I don't want to say that, you know, he couldn't be used that way, but I think your concern was more about maybe pass blocking. Oh, yeah. At the NFL level, I mean, his size at 5'9", 198, He's going to be a a challenged pass blocker at best. You know, he's he's effectively a similar size to Ray Rice, a little bit bigger. Ray Rice was probably a little bit stockier in terms of his ability to do that. And and Rice had a lot of trouble as a pass blocker. There are some smaller guys who can be decent pass blockers, but please don't try and and make a rule by example. It's the worst thing you can do. 
Sure, Danny Woodhead was a great pass blocker, and he was small. The bulk of small guys are absolutely crappy pass blockers, and I, I you know, we got to be realistic about our expectations with Hill. I, I doubt he will be a good pass blocker, uh, you know, at the NFL level. I don't see, I don't project him that way. And it's it's really uh, sort of highlights that Mark Ingram signing even more uh, because Ingram is a guy who, of the guys that they have right now, now that Ty Montgomery is gone, because I probably still would have. Give, given Ty the, the the edge over him in terms of pass protection. But mm-hmm. of the guys that they have on the roster right now at running back, I think Ingram is probably their best pass protector uh, in, at the running back position. So uh, I, I would expect to see him there more often on third downs um, than, than any of the other guys, even though, you know, of course, Harbaugh said all our guys can pass protect. They're all good at that. So <laughs> yeah. I, I would expect – we love our guys. Uh, I, would, I would expect Ingram to, to be that guy uh, uh, this year for sure. Yeah. I agree. I think he'll be the he'll be the one. So let's get, let's keep this moving. I'm sorry. We want to really want to get to mailbag questions here, but uh, excited with Hill Speed. Let's move on. Ben Powers, uh, the guard from Oklahoma, their next pick at what 123. We're at. Yes, sir. And we saw a little video of him talking about crushing a grown man's dreams and whatnot. He certainly seems to have a nasty streak in terms of what he does. Um, I am really more interested than any other draft pick in watching film of him this week and doing a little bit of, of, uh, specific scoring against an NFL team. And you recommended that I, I look at how he did against Quinnen Williams and, and generally an NFL ready Alabama defense. Yeah, I uh, had an opportunity to to watch that game a couple of times. Um, obviously, you know, like most fans, I, I watched it live, but uh, went back and sort of checked it out on YouTube as well. Uh, now, look, I, I, I'll I'll preface it with this: Quentin Williams is maybe the best player in this draft class. So, yeah, did he make some plays on Ben Power? Sure, sure he did. Uh, but I thought Power showed some things in terms of being able to anchor at times against Bull Rush. Um, I really liked his awareness. There was a, a, a clip, and I think I tweeted this out. There was one particular play where they were down on the goal line, and um, uh, a level two linebacker sort of blitzed at the A gap, and so the center had to pick him up. And then the left tackle had a rusher, and so uh, Powers was one on one with Williams, and so he has to take Williams on. But then they also blitz another linebacker, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, sort of a delayed blitz who comes sort of the power's outside shoulder. So while he's engaged with Quinnen, he gets one hand on that other linebacker as he's coming through the B gap. And it's just enough to let Kyler Murray, uh, Kyler Murray scramble and sort of run it in. But it was, they were on the force. So, I mean, we're not talking about, you know, a huge amount of time that he had to block for, but still just, just the awareness to sort of see that second guy coming from a delayed, um, you know, sort of position, uh, you know, really kind of impressed me. I'll be, I'll be looking for that. I'll be looking for that particular play. You know, obviously, Powers comes to the NFL with a pass-blocking pedigree that is very good. PFF ranks him very highly in that way. Um, I, 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 I'm going to say again that I don't trust their zero-sack number for the year because they, they won't have given out partials, and he probably had some contributions to sacks. That's okay. He's He, he, he certainly has been an above-average guy in terms of his ability to pass-block. I Everything I hear bad about the guy— it relates to his ability to move in space, to get to level two, to zone block, uh, to pull. Uh, you know, it's all about the mobility issue. So that's one of the things I'll be looking at with that Alabama game and see what do they ask him to do, which is often very telling. If they don't ask him to pull a lot, if they don't really uh, ask him to be the guy who moves into level two, releases moves to level two, um, and, and see what what 
what really did he provide in terms of mobility? Because it's something the Ravens schemes typically want, and they typically want it out of the left guard. Because if you think about it, Yonda is the pivoting player on most of the run players, not because he's slow, but because he's outstanding to handling that defensive tackle on the pivot and opening that hole either to the right of him or to the left of him uh, for a pulling player. Yeah, I wish I had charted it so I had the actual numbers on how many times he pulled. He did pull uh, uh, more than once <laughs> in, in that game, several times, actually. Uh, and the thing that I think also makes him kind of a good fit, obviously we talked about the Oklahoma players, but uh, if you if you look at the Ravens' offense last year, uh, which I did chart uh, all their running plays and passing plays, a lot of similar concepts to what Lincoln Riley runs at Oklahoma. A lot of counter, a lot of power from the gun, from the pistol, uh, a lot of pulling from left to right. Uh, so I think that's that that's sort of a, a good logical fit for Powers uh, in that respect. And, um, you know, another thing that I think is is cool about about just the whole Oklahoma sort of relationship and the tie-in, obviously, with Orlando Brown and Mark Andrews is apparently uh, Orlando Brown was at his draft party. He was there in person at Ben Powers' draft party. Apparently very, very close friends. Uh, and Orlando was there when he got the call, and they put Orlando on the phone as well. So <laughs> kind of a cool story there, too. That is, that is great. I'm, uh, I'm glad to hear that. Um, let's move on. Let's move on to their, the Ravens' next pick, which is number 127. They got Iman Marshall, the cornerback from USC. Uh, aircraft carrier size, as I call it. I love that prototypical uh, outside corner size at 6 feet 207. Now, cornerbacks keep getting larger on me. And I, I, I looked at this draft, and, you know, you got guys 6'2", 6'3", playing corner in this draft. And, you know, those are very rare in the past in all of NFL history. Um, but anyway, at 6 feet 207, still well above average size on the outside. You know, certainly comes with a, with a, um, a good contribution to run defense. Uh, but all his pass coverage metrics are very good in terms of, percentage of completions allowed um, didn't have a pick uh, the last couple of years that's okay uh, just but a little bit uh, you know he had six picks his first couple of years um, he's certainly not a need pick for the Ravens so that's one of the things I like about it is that you have a better confidence this is a player the Ravens really love because he's not a need pick at this point they had other needs they certainly could have been trying to fill them, particularly in the offensive line, maybe an inside linebacker at this point in the draft. But they decided we'll take a corner. Now, they, they should have taken a corner because the Ravens are old there. But I still love the fact that this is an e-pick. They had to really love this guy to pick him here in the fourth round. Yeah, and I, I, one of the things that you consistently heard about him from, from them and, and even people who follow the draft and you hit on it was how good of a tackler he was at the cornerback position. So uh, we obviously see that in their defense. We see that with Marlon Humphrey. He's another really good tackler uh, as, as a cornerback. That's, that's a big thing because uh, they often ask their, their guys. We talked about this a little bit earlier with the, the outside guy on the seven technique. Uh, often that guy will be a cornerback. Uh, and so he's going to have to come up and, and and sort of be the contained guy against any runs that might spill out there. So that's important. Um, I forget the actual numbers. I don't want to just you know, you know speculate crazy on numbers, but I think he had a really good number of pass breakups like each year mm -hmm. uh, and also his total number. So, um, you know, when you start off the conversation about a cornerback uh, with he's a good tackler, 
sometimes people are like, oh, well, can he can he actually cover at all? <laughs> so this guy, you know, obviously had some some uh, some pretty good pass breakup numbers. So that's encouraging. And uh, DaCosta and Harbaugh both, you know, specifically highlighted special teams when talking about him. So they're already, you know, already sort of having that. It's almost like they have a, a, a particular spot on their coverage units in mind. Like they already envision where they're going to use this guy mm-hmm. on special teams right from year one. Uh, so I think you're right. I think they, they really liked him to take him where they took him and that they, they apparently have a pretty clear projection for how they want to use him right away. Yeah, could could well be a gunner at his kind of size and speed. That's not unusual at all Could and could be a, a one of the guys who blocks the gunner on on the return team. So either way, uh, I could see it. Yeah, I'm seeing a lot of pass breakups here during his career 25, uh, according to this that, I, that I'm seeing. But anyway, I... I uh, I like that pick. I like it for a lot of reasons, but uh, but probably one of my favorite picks of the draft, honestly, um, because of that. In terms of where he'll be with the Ravens this year at corner, obviously there's, there's always a possibility of injuries at corner. I don't think I still don't think there's a zero percent chance that they don't let Jimmy Smith go before the season starts. Obviously, they have to move on from Jimmy at some point. Uh, Averett needs playing time. Obviously, Marshall is going to need playing time to figure out what they have in year one somehow. And, you know, hopefully it doesn't all come in camp and he doesn't get hurt as Elliott did last year, because that's a, that's a big setback in terms of figuring out what you have with a player. Um, they'd like to get him on the field. I, if, if they could get him on the field for 65 snaps, like they did with Averett this last year, I'd be pretty happy with that. You know, yeah. 65 defensive snaps. Yeah, yeah I, I'm I'm never and I mean, I think some people kind of sort of had like head scratches with this pick, but I, I never get upset when they take cornerbacks because we've seen it and you've detailed it in years past. I mean, obviously, they've had some really extreme examples of yeah. cornerback injuries. Last year was a good year uh, in terms of that, but it's just it happens. Right. I think Harbaugh once even talked about Jimmy Smith in these terms, like compared him to like a high performance sports car. Like when, when they're when they're on, you know, they perform at a really, really high level. But the maintenance calls are extremely high. <laughs> so, you know, they're not always on. And sometimes they need a lot of maintenance. Uh, and so it's good to have depth there for sure. Great example. Great example. Okay, well, I'm going to move on. Unless you got a personal interest item for Iman Marshall. I don't. I've, I've run out. Of, I've run dry on human interest. <laughs> right. So we can move on to Dalen Mack, who's a guy that I, along along the lines of this, people uh, of the Iman Marshall pick, people might say, you know, why well, they need another defensive tackle. But uh, I like the pick. I like the player. Uh, I, I did have an opportunity to watch him during the year. And uh, he was also at the East-West uh, Shrine game and then got the call up to the Senior Bowl because he played well at the East-West Shrine game. So, um, you know, in, in that Michael Pierce mold in terms of body type, uh, right around six foot, right around 330-something pounds, um, you obviously see him as a, as a two-gap, a guy who can sort of eat double teams. But he also is pretty explosive getting up the field when they gave him a chance at Texas A&M just to, you know, get on get on the edge uh, of a guard or a center and just penetrate. Uh, he had a really good burst up field uh, when he did that. And and um, I just, you know, sort of sort of throw this in there, too. It, it, it made me think about 2020 and what happens with Brandon Marshall in 2020. Yes. It, it sort of made me think about that a little bit. I know we're, we're a whole season away from that. But wait, Brandon uh, Marshall. No, I'm to Brandon Williams. Excuse me, I'm, I'm, I'm misspoke. Brandon Williams, yeah. Wait, I'm and sorry. Michael Pierce, for that matter, because he's he's not under contract beyond 2020 yeah. or 2019. That's true. That's true, right? Because he just signed his tender, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, 
I know there were some people who weren't crazy about it. I, I remember seeing some stuff on Twitter where people like Ozzy, you know, snuck in and made this pick <laughs> or something like that because of how much he loves, you know, defensive players. But uh, I, I still like the pick, actually, uh, probably more because I like the player than uh, necessarily positional need. Okay, I got, I've got a few things about this. First of all, I love the insurance policy component of this pick. And it's more than an insurance policy for after the season. It's insurance policy for this season itself. When Michael Pierce was hurt in 2018, the Ravens really seemed small on their run defense at times up front. They, they had just Williams and whoever else it would have been, Wormley, Urban. And when they're putting three guys out there in particular, they seem small. I love the Ravens defense when two of their three down linemen in their standard 4DB situation can be big. It automatically makes you want to put three receivers on the field to have that. Okay, so that that alone is is value that he, that he provides. I don't really believe and he had five sacks this last season. I don't really believe that's going to translate well to the NFL level. I think he'll be more of a push the pocket guy of a guy who can create some opportunity for or, or create some movement for the quarterback that allows somebody else to get it cleaned up. But uh, but he he could he can certainly help with the pass rush and he might be a guy that like Pierce you'd want to get on the field on third down and uh, with somebody else who's more of a race car like Ferguson, like Zedaria Smith, maybe like Tim Williams on the inside this year, I don't know, um, who uh, who can help you. But uh, anyway, I, I'm, uh, I think he'll get a rotational workload as a first-year player, but he's already really had a rotational workload at A&M. They didn't, they didn't tax him with too many snaps in his college career, so I wouldn't project a higher level of production out of the snaps he gets this year under Wink the way I would for Ferguson. So anyway, love the pick, really like the player. I think he's a guy who can help the, the Ravens of the future, certainly keep their cap under control after 2019, which regardless of which way they want to go with Williams and Pierce. But, uh, but in, in terms of what he'll um, uh, play, I wouldn't project a lot of additional production for him at the NFL level. No, and I, I know I'm probably in a very small minority who like this kind of thing, but one of the reasons that I really liked watching him, and it was a lot of fun to watch, was he did get double teamed quite a bit, and I love to see defensive linemen take on double teams. I just love it. I mean, I, I, t- I tweet out clips of it, and people are like, what what the hell is this? Because <laughs> the guy's not making the play. He's literally just eating the double team. And I'm like, but that is making the play. That is his mm-hmm. job on that play. Uh, if he can penetrate and split it, that's a bonus. But eat those two guys, let a linebacker feel and run free. I mean, that's exactly what you want out of guys like that. So um, I, I love it. Anytime I get a chance to, to see a guy or they bring a guy on who I think really does that uh, at, a, at a good level um, is, is, is exciting for me. Um, yeah. So I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm probably, like I said, I'm probably weird that way. I, no, I, I absolutely love it too. I shouldn't admit this, but I'm going to go ahead anyway. I was playing a game this offseason, you know, between the between the end of the football season and this. And one of the one of the characters in the game it has an ability that he can run right at somebody and knock him down immediately. And I'm thinking that's Michael Pierce. You know, he, he just he can pick one or two snaps per game where he can just increase his energy level, it seems, and beat a double team, push back anybody he wants in front of him. And if, if they could get any kind of similar level of, of effort from Dalon Mack, if he could if he could do that sort of thing once or twice per game, we're going to notice him and we're going to be very excited about him. And, and when players can do it against double teams, as Pierce sometimes can, uh, it's really special. So I just uh, love it. 
Yeah, it's not glamorous. You know, it's kind of the down, dirty work, kind of tough and gritty. And speaking of tough and gritty, I guess their next pick, their last pick, that's the report that you hear on Trace McSorley, quarterback out of Penn State. Uh, You know, tough, gritty, competitor kind of guy. What I thought about, uh, two things, I guess, was uh, you hear this term in high school recruiting a lot, uh, offensive weapon, right? A guy who's a good athlete, but maybe hasn't settled into one particular position, but just has kind of a dynamic athletic ability. And so they kind of move him all around on offense. McSorley kind of strikes me as that kind of guy. When you look at his combine testing, I mean, four, five, seven in the 40 is fast uh, at many positions. Not, you know, obviously a quarterback is fast, but it's fast at, at several other positions too. Um, so I think, so and so there's that. And then the second thing that came to mind, physically, they're not a comparison because Taysom Hill is much bigger. Uh, but just in terms of how you can use him, the multiple ways that you can use a guy like that, um, that's another thing that came to mind. Because I know the Ravens have done this in the past where they've had a game during the season and a particular player sort of did something or performed in a way against them in that game and sort of sticks with them, right? And they either go out and acquire that player or a player like that uh, you know, either as a free agent or they draft or something. And that that Saints game, I mean, Taysom Hill was a handful for them. Yeah. So uh, it, that's the that's the thing that kind of, not physically the same kind of guy. He's already got called out on that once, but uh, just in terms of of uh, you know what you can do schematically. Yeah, he's a, he's an interesting player to me. I, obviously, I think you've hit on it to say he'll likely be a slash player to make this roster. So he's got to do a lot of things offensively, whether it's line up in the backfield for direct snaps, line up in the slot line up as a flanker, be another guy for misdirection for the run game, which he certainly could could be. Uh, you know, maybe you figure out some other ways to get the ball in his hands for some trick plays. You know, to, not, not, I'm not just talking about trick plays where he runs, but trick plays where he throws. Um, it, it, when I look back at his college career, his passing stats are not terrible. I mean, they really, they really are. They're okay at Penn State. I was expecting to, to to look at them and say, you know, this is a guy. He obviously doesn't have a position. It's really not true. I mean, he's got seventy-seven TDs and twenty-five interceptions. He threw for eight point one yards per attempt. There's nothing about that that's so terrible. Um, you know, if you look at uh, at uh, uh, who he was under pressure, so I got one PFF number there that that he had seven touchdowns and zero interceptions under pressure. Yet. He still shows up as not not looking that great against the blitz, which is an interesting combo of things. What it probably tells me is he dumps the ball off very quickly when he sees an extra when he sees color in his face. So yeah, that, that that and I, I wonder too, and you you might know this better than me. I wonder too if because of his athletic ability that he you know wants to get out of there when you know when he gets pressure in terms of kind of hanging in there or maybe trying to just slide and, and create time in the pocket. Um, but that's what I thought, too. I, I agree with that, that that point that you just made. I didn't think he was that bad as a quarterback. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not necessarily saying that, you know, you, you're projecting him as any kind of NFL starter or anything like that. But um, I, I really, you know, there are people who are like, this guy can't play quarterback in the NFL. I don't, I don't know if I feel that strongly about it. Obviously, he's not going to be the starter on this team. But no. um, I, th- I think, you know, they have some idea, I think, or some ideas, maybe it's a better way to pull of what they might be able to do with him. And uh, I think it could be fun because like you said, it's not just a rushing ability. It's the ability that maybe he could get the ball and then throw it. 
Uh, and, and, you know, then all of the people who wanted to see Lamar at wide receiver will get their get their wish. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and maybe Lamar's the wide receiver. And maybe Lamar's the guy who initially has the football and, and, and creates this play. But in any case, McSorley is, I think, the kind of guy based on what, you know, what he appears to be as a passer who can get you through the rest of the game. Which brings me to the next point is that if this team is going to carry two and a half quarterbacks, as I'll call it. And, and have Griffin be on the roster, which I expect they will, because they want a mature quarterback room at least. And it would make a lot of sense, I would think, to have him around still. Then I think he's inactive on game day, and McSorley is active for most of the time. I think, I think that's the natural way you go with this. McSorley becomes your guy to get you through the rest of that game. Griffin becomes the starter the next week if, if you know, the worst happens. Uh, but but you, you have a guy who obviously can contribute on special teams, can do a lot of other things, whereas Griffin, he plays quarterback, he doesn't do anything else. And we did see him, that's not fair, we did see him a few other times play, as playing Slash himself in games last year, but I think McSorley, there's, there's much more of a chance that he ends up in the slot or he ends up doing something else, and you end up with a, with a second quarterback who's also being used somewhere else on the field. And it's one of those things that they've mentioned throughout this process because of the offense that they want to run with Lamar that we can draft in a way that's going to be different than the way that other teams draft. There are not a lot of teams, maybe no other teams, who knows what was going to happen, maybe going to draft McSorley as a quarterback. Um, but for what they do and you know the things that they think they're going to be able to do, you can take a guy like that with one of your later picks and and you know sort of see what happens with it where you know i don't i don't know if if any other teams would have taken that approach to him that's right that's right and i i don't see trace being troy smith coming to town or, or being lamar frankly last year comes to town and says i'm a quarterback damn it don't put me in don't put me at receiver i'm a quarterback kind of thing if trace mcsorley comes in with that attitude he's gonna have a problem right away <laughs> but i don't think he will I, I think he'll he'll come and he'll know there's a set of things they want me to do and that's the this is my way to make the NFL and there's already been talk about Trace McSorley switching to defense which I don't really give any credence to by the way but you know the fact that there is that discussion tells me that McSorley probably had to be party to it at some point uh, you know with with Lamar I think a lot of the he could be very valuable playing some other offensive position was thrust upon him by by scouts that they said yeah, yeah. go ahead I'm sorry. No, and with Trace, I think it goes back to how he was recruited to Penn State. I believe he was recruited as a safety uh, initially. So, um, you know, he he had and he, and he did that. I mean, it's not unusual for a lot of guys to play on both sides of the ball in high school, uh, mm -hmm. which he did. But um, to to be recruited that way too, uh, and then you know actually end up becoming the quarterback, starting quarterback there. So yeah, I, I think you're right. He definitely strikes me as the kind of guy who's like, look, I'll I'll do whatever you need me to do, right? Because I, I just want to play. Mm -hmm. All right. Terrific. Well, that takes us through all of our draft picks today here. And that was just, just great talk, Michael. I've missed this so much. I can't even tell you in terms of uh, just having a good football discussion for an uh, hour and 20 here or so with you. Uh, Josh, well, what do we got left? We've got some mailbags, so we can't finish the football talk yet. Uh, and the first one up is going to be from at Be More Raven. How do you see the depth chart right now at the inside linebacker position? Do you see someone like Levine getting more snaps along Young and Peanut, or do you think we're going to sign another player? Okay, so I'll start with that. It seems to me the fact that they did not uh, go after an inside linebacker in this draft is very conspicuous. They had opportunities. They had chances to draft uh, you know, a variety of different guys. They obviously may have a UDFA they love. I don't know who that is. 
but more likely they've already had some discussions with Zach Brown and they might even be talking about making him a post June one signing to avoid any influence on the um, compensatory picks. So it's, I, I think another guy is coming. I don't really think they have enough total players at inside linebacker right now that you would project normally into those two spots. And we've talked at length before, Michael. I really hate the idea of breaking up the weak side linebacker platoon, which goes to Levine's playing time. Levine is maxed at 32% of his snaps. Could he go to 35, 36? Sure, if the Ravens end up playing more dime because they're leading in more games, it's possible. But that's his role. He, he won't play. He won't uh, get into that two-down space at all, in my opinion. And there's no need to. I mean, he's an outstanding. He's one of the NFL's best specialists as a dime. And it would be I think at his age, also, he's 32 years old, I think, this year. It'd be, it'd be silly for them to depend on him for that. What I really want to make sure they don't do is break up how productive Owasu and Young were together. A lot of people want to give Young the job, and maybe he's the guy for it. I really don't want to see Owasu become an every-down player because he's kind of more senior in this position. I think he he benefited terrifically from exactly the playing time he got from Wink last year, also the personnel situation, but from the playing time he got from Wink. And Young also, I think, benefited from it. Certainly as a rookie, got a lot of playing time for a rookie in the Ravens system, and I'd like to see him say So in terms of the depth chart, I think that Mike linebacker position is still open, and I think they'll go out and get somebody like Zach Brown to fill it. Yeah, just from a number standpoint, I agree with you. I mean, I think you got to bring somebody in. I mean, they, they did uh, sign three undrafted free agent linebackers, but, you know, I, who knows, you know, how things are going to pan out uh, with those guys. Um I did kind of a deep dive study on Kenny Young uh, this year. I've actually kind of tried to bone up more on like video stuff. And so I've got one piece out there already and it's kind of a multi-part series. As much as I love the platoon, I do want to give him the job. I've, I've moved on. I've moved over to the other side now based on what I've seen. Uh, I, I love the platoon. I don't want to break the platoon up, but man, I was really impressed by what that guy did as a rookie. Once I had a chance to really go back and, and, and sort of study it more closely. Um, another thing I'll just throw in, Purely hypothetical. Earl Thomas is a different player than Eric Weddle. I don't think you're going to see Earl Thomas moving around, being sort of the disguising, deceptive kind right. of guy as much as you see Eric Weddle. Do we see more of Tony Jefferson as kind of that nickel backer? Do we see that a little bit more? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I know we've always talked about that since he came here. Does that seem like a good fit for him? Could he take snaps away from Peanut? Okay, let's, let's be clear about what you mean here. So are, do you really mean could he play dime to be the second inside linebacker on some number of plays where the Ravens keep six defensive backs on the field? Or do you mean something like the Ravens are going to play three defensive linemen, still have a nickel, and he's really going to be playing nickel and is on that a slot receiver or a, or a third split receiver, whether it's a running back, tight end, whatever. Um, I, I, there's a lot. No, I, number I one. To, number one. That was okay. your first one that you described. So, so we're really talking dime. Can, can he come in and play dime back the way Levine does on, on some snaps? And that means somebody else is on the back end. So if they, uh, that could be Elliott. That could be Clark. It could, you know, they have guys who can do it. It's just they need to identify who their other good back end guy is. What I think is more likely is we're going to see more single high out of the Ravens this year in general because Thomas is so good. I think that's what they're hoping they can do is allow Jefferson to cheat up more, play in the box more than he would, support the run more, cover the tight end, man to man. Hey, I mean, that was something I really loved about him when he when he came from Arizona. I mean, 
they've really not done it that much with the Ravens, either, either Pease or Martindale. I'd love to see more of that. Um, I, I, you know, I think it's possible we'll see a different role in general for Jefferson. I certainly hope they don't depend on him in the way on the back end that they have because I don't think it's his strength. I think he has others. But uh, but yeah, it's, I, I would be a little surprised if he truly moves to dime because they have, then they have to identify who's that other back end guy. All right. Uh, Jalen wants to know which of these rookies we just discussed has the best chance of making an immediate impact on the field. That's a tough one. Uh, I think the first name that that comes to my mind just because of opportunity is Jalen Ferguson. But I could just as well see in Hollywood uh, making that impact as well, just because of his speed and what he can do uh, in the passing game. But I'll go with Jalen. Um, I think there is an opportunity from a pass rush standpoint uh, because of uh, the departures of Suggs, because of Zadarius Smith. Um, obviously, we already talked about Tim Williams and what he did last year before uh, the injury and sort of getting himself in the doghouse. But there's going to be some opportunity for competition there at that that spot opposite Matt Judon. So uh, just in terms of opportunity, which you can make the same argument for the wide receivers. I understand that. There's going to be a lot of opportunity there, too. Uh, that's That's the guy I'll go with. So in terms of leverage snaps, I think I agree with you. Jalen Ferguson is going to be on the on the field a lot, 25 to 35% of the snaps. Might be a reasonable hope for his rookie year. I don't really see him as a two-down guy. I, I think you have to probably start with Brown as being the guy who is going to get the most snaps in his rookie class. Sure, certainly should be the case unless an injury is holding him back. And God forbid this Liz Frank thing is still lingering by the time camp starts. I haven't I haven't heard exactly what his situation is. But I didn't like hearing about it. And, uh, and you know, obviously he wasn't at the combine or, or didn't run at the combine anyway with the, with the, with the problem. Uh, but hopefully that doesn't hold him back this, this year the way Hurst was held back, say, last year. Miles Boykin, um, I, don't th- I think it's still up in the air just how much playing time he gets. The opportunity is there. He's a big body in terms of a lot of things that, that you can do with him. But I don't think it's an automatic that he's on the field a lot, even though he's really the only Ravens true outside receiver they have on the whole roster right now. All right. Carolyn wants to jump in here and try to stump you guys by asking about the undrafted free agents. Oh, boy. Uh, any, of, any of those guys, have you had a chance to look yet to see if any of those guys have any shot at the 53? Okay, Carolyn, first of all, love the question. Thanks for thanks for joining in. We get the same same group asking questions. A lot of weeks, and we love to love to get some fresh blood here. But I honestly have not looked at the UDFA class. I guess it won't be finalized for for a while yet, right today, or is it tomorrow even? Yeah, it might it might even be tomorrow. I mean, the stuff that's out there now is all you know reported. You have you know reporters breaking it. You have agents breaking it. The players themselves breaking it. So I don't right. know if any of it is official yet. All right, so we'll flag that question for the next episode. Give you guys a little bit more time. Uh, I'll just mark it down as she stumped you this week. Yeah, she well, got hold on. So. hold on. I will throw out Gerald Willis. Gerald Willis is a guy who I think, uh, defensive tackle out of Miami. Oh. Uh, yeah, I, I know. They're, He's the they're, Jelly they're, Belly guy, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know they're a little stacked at that position. So, you know, maybe maybe he doesn't uh, have the best chance of making the roster from that standpoint. He's probably one of the more inside linebackers. But he's a guy who uh, – went undrafted who I really thought was going to get drafted not necessarily an early round pick or anything like that but I really thought he had enough ability and talent to get drafted so um that'd be my that that that'd be my vote 
Okay, so a lot of great football names I'm seeing in some of the early projections of what's going on. So Daryl Johnson Jr. Um, is there as an edge rusher. Uh, we have a Dakota Allen at linebacker, a Khalil Hodge doing his Khalil Mack impression at inside linebacker, and a Derwin Gray on offensive line, which, hey, we'd always like to have one more Derwin in Baltimore. CJ too good. this one. CJ too good. Best name, hands down. All right. Carl gets in with the McSorley pick is being heralded as a genius referencing how the Saints use their backup QB. But how is this going to be any different for the Ravens than the Naval Academy QB, Keenan Reynolds, drafted a few years ago, who washed out? I understand the possibility, but this feels like a wasted pick. It's a, it's a great question. And Reynolds obviously had a ton of success at, at the college level. Uh, McSorley is, is a different uh, you know, kind of a player, I'd hope. But the biggest difference of all is Joe Flacco was running that offense. And it just didn't allow for the same kind of schematic run diversity that you can use a player like McSorley for now with Lamar Jackson. I think that's it. I mean, you nailed it. It's 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 just a different offense. Obviously, that was a square peg round hole fit with Keenan Reynolds, and then you know the offense they were running with Joe uh, Trace McSorley ran a lot of these concepts at Penn State. So um, I don't even I, I'm not even making the argument that you know, that's in the, in the plans for him to, you know, to, to be involved at that level. But just for that reason, um, you know, you could see why this one had, you know, maybe a better chance of, of having some success than, than that one. And, and Keenan Reynolds is not washed out. You guys know where he's at right now? Seattle, right? He's, he's at Seattle listed as a wide receiver. Yeah. So there you go. They're using him a little different than the Ravens did. All right, uh, Billy Marshall wants to know, do you see potential of Mark Ingram and Justice Hill lining up in the backfield at the same time? I, I, I'm going to start with that. I say Justice Hill, it makes a lot of sense to have him on the field with a big back at the same time. In fact, it does for you what Lamar Jackson does for you alone or did for them alone last year without putting Lamar Jackson at risk. So I, I like that. And in, in fact, it can make you have a two-way look. You, you can freeze one-edge player um, uh, with Justice Hill, if he's running, if he's motioning through the backfield. But the original, his question was, do I see him lining up in the backfield together? I don't see a lot of pony backfields for this team. But if they did, it would be a pony with an H back or a pony with a, a, a uh, uh, it, it wouldn't be a true two running back backfield. It'd be a tight end and a, and a running back or a, or a fullback and a running back. Yeah, I, I could, and I think this, we end up in the same place. I, I could see them both being in the backfield at the same time. I could see him and Gus being in the backfield at the same time, but then Hill going in motion, you know, mm-hmm. something like that. Uh, I, it almost reminds me of like the triple option offense. You know, you think about Paul Johnson at Georgia tech and you've got one guy going this way on, you know, to one edge, the other guy going uh, the other way on another edge. And then you've got Gus Edwards on the dive right up the middle and he rambles for like 40 yards. You know, you see that in triple option offenses all the time. So you get so much edge on the speed. I mean, so much speed on the edge and you have these guys going in opposite directions. You're pulling guys out of the box. You're pulling defenders out of the box. And all it takes is one crease on that dive play. And, you know, you have a guy who's, you know, he's not, he's not going to run 80 yards, but, you know, he can rip off a 15, 20, 30 yard run. So uh, I could see that. All right. Uh, Bruce wants to know why Boykins over Hakeem Butler. Is it because of drops? Okay. I mean, obviously, Butler lasted a long time in this draft, right? He was the first pick of the fourth round. 
Yep. So that way when it ended up going. So uh, there were multiple, multiple teams. I'd say there were 32 teams with concerns over who Butler was as a receiver. Um, you know, I, I do want to point out, there's an awful lot of Ravens fans out there who had the Ravens drafting him at 22. Okay. That would have been about as uneconomical a draft as I can imagine in terms of this. You've got to let the board fall to you. And, you know, a lot of people wanted to draft him at 22 because they said, well, maybe he should be drafted in the 30s, but they can't wait till 85 to get him. They'll never get him. Well, you know, we saw otherwise on um, on Saturday, I guess it was, when, it, when he finally did get taken. or And on Friday when he didn't get taken, both of those. But, uh, but you know, I, I think there were reasons why Boykin, obviously more of a physical specimen, probably more of a, uh, you know, that's, that's really saying something because Akeem Butler is enormous. But, uh, but Boykin may be more of an asset in the run game. Uh, maybe, obviously, the better hands might have been a factor. But uh, you tell me, what do you think? Um, what do you think, Michael? Yeah, I think the drops had to be a factor. Um, I was a big I still am a big Hakeem Butler fan. I'm not going to run and hide now because he dropped to the fourth round. <laughs> but I think that uh, a big lesson for me with this particular draft with wide receivers in general was just how differently the teams valued wide receivers in, you know, some of us draft sort of hobbyists or people who sort of do this just, you know, for fun on the side. I mean, we were we were way too high on a lot of these guys, not just Butler. I mean, DK Metcalf, you know, mm-hmm. you, you can name several different guys. So, um yeah, I, I, I would agree with you. I think, you know, the drops probably had to be concerning. Um, there was some other kind of scuttlebutt out there about off-field stuff. I'm not going to get into that stuff because I don't know any mm-hmm. of it, and I don't want to spread rumors or anything like that. But sure. uh, I thought his drops were um, correctable. But what I've also learned is I said that same thing about Pyramid. <laughs> and so it's probably – not a good projection, right? If you see that and you're like, oh, what's his technique? It's his hand technique. You know, it's, it's uh, concentration drops. I think those things are real. I, I think those things, you know, do happen to wide receivers and guys can't get better. Somebody tweeted out Devontae Adams, his first couple years in the league and how his drop rate uh, decreased. So, I mean, yeah, it, it can happen. Um, but it's probably not a safe projection. So, yeah, I, I would say that that probably had to be the factor too. And then just the overall sort of valuation of wide receivers in this class. I mean, the guys just, you know, don't manufacture. That's another lesson that I took out of this. Don't manufacture a number one type guy. If you watch right. these guys during the season and you don't see number one type guys, don't it's make not. one in the draft. Don't make one in the draft. And I'll, one, I'll throw the Billy Bean quote out there, right? The, the, the minute you think you have to do something, you need to do something in the draft, you're screwed. Yeah, <laughs> I, I agree. You, you don't want to be wed to anything. And, and one of the things that was nice about this draft for the Ravens was they had a lot of different needs to cover. They didn't have any one thing. And even though they had a lot of different needs, they still found a way to slip a cornerback in there, which was, you know, a modest need. But it but it wasn't it wasn't a big need where they drafted him. And they found a way to not draft an inside linebacker because they think they can address it otherwise. They found a way to not draft a second edge rusher because they because they didn't feel like they couldn't address it otherwise, I guess. So. Uh, I, I thought the flexibility show by DeCosta was one of the really big strengths in this draft in terms of, of not going down. Did you actually have but- – I know you did a lot of work on Butler during the – you know, leading up to the draft. Did you have him as the Ra- to the Ra- go to the Ravens at 22 as a possibility? I mean, I, I didn't think that – he wasn't a first-round grade for mm-hmm. me. But, you know, 
you know how it goes on Twitter. I mean, people are going to put your feet to the fire. And so <laughs> I said, look, if they took him, would I be mad about it? No, I wouldn't be mad about it. But I, I didn't, I really, I had a hard time seeing any of these guys as, as a first round grade. I, I just, I just really didn't see Hollywood was probably the one guy uh, because he had, he has such a dominant trait um, that, that I thought, you know, he could get there, but I, yeah, I just, I didn't see it. And I probably should have stuck to my guns more because I think I started to try to make it up as we got into the draft. And mm-hmm. I didn't see that during the season. So that's a, that's a lesson learned for me. All right. Well, fair enough. I had five guys that I wanted. One of them appears to have been an overvaluation. So uh, I wanted both of the two Devons and they went number five and number 10, I believe. So yeah. uh, obviously the Steelers thought well enough of Devin Bush to jump way up to get him, paid a bit a big premium for him in the division. Then the uh, uh, Burns, I loved. I, I really liked um, uh, Montez Sweat as my, my number five guy. And then the number four guy is the guy that was maybe a little bit overdraft was Cody Ford, who I still think is going to be excellent. But he didn't get drafted, I think, until number 37. I'd have been perfectly happy with the Ravens taking him at 25. I would, would have been thrilled with that. But, uh, but yeah, it's true. It's, uh, we all have our guys we like. We tend to stick with them maybe a little too long. Uh, but uh, but anyway, uh, it, it's a fun draft process this year, and I love what the Ravens did in, in terms of moving down as far as they uh, could in this draft and picking up you know fair value. Watch out for Perriman in Tampa Bay, Josh. Keep your eyes open. <laughs> I'm not too worried about Perriman. <laughs> Just so. in terms of hanging on too long, I'm the classic hang on too long guy. <laughs> Josh, what else we got? All right, let's 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 wrap it up with uh, two more questions. And first up is Edgar wants to know, based on watching the Ravens draft and their draft strategy, how much of this is in response kind of in, to counter what the Chargers did on defense against the Ravens with uh, removing linebackers to crowd up on the, the defensive backs? It's an interesting question because I'm not sure what they did in this draft added much to their power run game. So what they would, you know, the strategy to beat the Ravens and and to contain Lamar Jackson and frankly to contain their speed might still be play seven defensive backs against it. It might be more than that if your defensive line can hold up with that. The Chargers have two extraordinarily talented players who were able to make that work. Most teams do not. So I don't think it's really a, a, a fear that, they'll do that but but how much does how much does just add in the hollywood as a playmaker back there how about a guy that can get the ball yeah that that should that should really help the ravens run game in general but if you look at hollywood hollywood's a speed guy he's not going to help you with blocking not really so his speed would be better countered by the additional defensive backs on the field so it would seem like this would be more of a move where you'd you'd want to contain that ravens track meet team as you want to call it with additional defensive backs but the, the, the point I'm making is just I don't think there's too many teams that have the quality and depth of defensive back and the quality and depth on the defensive line necessary to make that work. Too many teams also have just a great player at inside linebacker they want on the field. So anyway, what, what do you think about it, Michael? Yeah, I, I think, you know, there's still that kind of overreaction sort of narrative about that one particular game. I mean, I think DaCosta just talked about watching the, the better offenses in the league and the one common denominator was speed. And so I think that really is kind of more of the driver behind why they went, you know, in the direction that they went. Um, I'll still stand by this. If you go back and look at that wild card game, they got whipped up front. That's what it was about. It was about those two special players that you mentioned and 
this went sort of under the radar because they don't have defensive tackles that are household names, but those guys played their butts off in that game. Right. And did did the things that are not glamorous, but holding up a a guard who can't pull the level two, holding up a center who can't pull the level two. And now if you've got defensive backs fitting those gaps, yeah, they're going to fly in there. Obviously they're, they're, they're more, you know, they're quicker, they're more agile than a linebacker. Um, and if you can't get that offensive lineman up on them, that's where, you know, really you take advantage of, of sort of those lighter guys there. But if they can't get to those guys, yeah, they're going to make plays. I mean, so to me, that game has has always been about how well, uh, and Ken said it, the, the Chargers defensive line played. And don't forget, there was also the talk of footwork giving away what the Ravens were going to do. Yeah. Right. All right. Let's close it on this. Marcus wants to know. What players do you still see out there in free agency that you would like to add to the address to the remaining needs? How about we each just pick one? I'm, I'm going to go – well, I can go with either of the two guys, so you go ahead and go first. All right. I think I know at least who one of your guys is, maybe both. Uh, so I'm going to steal one. Uh, I'm going to go with Ziggy Ansah. Uh, he was in here for a visit. Of course, they said the visit went well. Who, who's you know who's going to say oh, the visit was terrible? Nobody's going to say that. The surgery uh, but, went poorly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Why do people say that? They're like, well, what do you expect them to say? Oh, this guy was—he was an a-hole. We hated this guy. Uh, they're never going to say that. But uh, I went back and and watched a couple of games of his from last year, particularly the game uh, Detroit against the Rams, and uh, seeing him matched up against Andrew Whitworth at left tackle—that was that was a fun matchup. But. Uh, some similarities to 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 some of the stuff we've mentioned about Jalen Ferguson. He's a power guy, um, not not necessarily like a real twitched up bendy edge guy, but he is athletic. I'm not saying that answer is not athletic. He is. He still moves really well. Uh, but uh, when he plays with good leverage, when he keeps his hips down and he gets his hands inside on you, he's he's got some jolt, and you know he can kind of knock guys back a little bit. Uh, and he's pretty good with his hands too. Actually, really good with his hands. So um, that'd be my guy. Okay, I, I'll be all for that. And I think from what I've heard, Ansa could be had on a shorter-term contract. It, it, I don't think it'd be a longer than a two-year deal anyway. But if you sign him to a one-year deal that's similar to John Brown last year, and he actually does have a pretty good year, you sign him one year, five, six million dollars, let's say, and then he goes somewhere else and plays next year, gets kind of contract rounded, boy, the Ravens made it out great on that. They made it, they got a you know a fourth-round draft pick out of that for next year. That, uh, that they got to be really excited about. My guy, Zach Brown, I think he's the one guy who, bring, who you bring in who's a three-down guy. He, he definitely may have some coachability issues. The Ravens are going to have to need to get by that. But it's some of those coachability issues that probably make him more of a value. He's no way he's going to get the kind of contract he thought he was going to get at the beginning of free agency. So now maybe he's also a one-year Peruvian guy, and maybe you can still give the job to Kenny Young a year from now let him work into more, some more plays between the combination of injuries and time he'd have to take from Zach Brown at the mic and additional time of his own that he'll get at the weak side linebacker position to, to refine his game. So I, I really want the Ravens to bring in that guy who allows them to maintain that uh, extraordinarily productive platoon. All right. I like this new term coachability. I, I, I like that. That's now the concern of, of players is can the player listen and learn from a coach? Uh, it doesn't seem like something you'd have to deal with by the time you get to the pro level. I think we've seen it for years. It's it's uh, on the Ravens. It's the doghouse. Shown up in it, you know, yes. the, the kennel that Harbaugh's kept <laughs> over the years. You know, he's good. There's, there's there's definitely a lot of complaints about barking in his neighborhood. For the right, right. 
Um, all right, well, it's now football season. We've got uh, OTAs coming up. We've got more signings coming up, so there's going to be more podcasts coming up uh, shorter after we had a many-week break. You guys have plenty to write up now. What's going on over at Russell Street Report? Uh, lots of stuff going on. I'll, I, I guess I'll start. I, I have an article out about the, the Ravens' schedule difficulty this year, and I, I, you can go read it. It's uh, it, it looks at it for some uh, standardized way of how did the – Games that we knew they were going to get because we knew the exact 16 games. How do they really get lined up in terms of of difficulty in travel, playing other teams after buys, after Thursday, after Monday, etc. Uh, so that there's that. Um, uh, I'll be doing a write up coming up shortly on uh, Ben Powers to look at the look at at least one game and maybe more in terms of scoring him and really try to see who he is as a player. He's uh, the most interesting prospect from this year's draft to me in terms of not knowing very much about him going into that that review. How about you, Michael? I don't have any written stuff that I'm doing, but I mentioned the uh, the video piece that I did on Kenny Young. Um, that's not on RSR yet right now. That's something that I tweeted out. I probably should pin it uh, to my timeline just to make it easier for people to find. Um, I'm at, at Abukari, A-B-U-K-A-R-I, but uh, having some discussion uh, with Tony Lombardi about turning that multi-part video series into something that we can put up on the site. So uh, it's mostly on me. I got to crank out the other parts. I have all the clips. I just got to do the video editing. And obviously I'm completely self-taught and not very good. So uh, it's, it's that, is, that is such a direct lie. You've taught me everything I know. I think, <laughs> well, those are just tweeting out clips. That's not like actual video no, editing. Even, this even is much different. A clip. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm an older guy, obviously. I, I, I don't, I didn't grow up in an area where everybody made their own YouTube videos or whatever. But still, I, I, I appreciate everything you've taught me along that line in terms of making gifts. Oh, anytime. You well, know, anytime I can help out. Well, what you both got down is you, you're both very busy on Twitter. You keep it. You do a lot of interaction with the listeners and more on Twitter. So everyone should be following the two of you. Yeah, we're excited. Excited to hear and interact with people. I know I see Michael on there all day doing that. I can get lost in Twitter for hours once we start getting a, a good good discussion, good set of questions going on. So please jump in. I'm sure we'll uh, we'll be eager to discuss things. Yes, and feel free to call me out on all of my bad math. Obviously, I'm diving into the analytics side a little bit more this offseason and always dangerous to have somebody who is bad at math diving into that. So feel free uh, because I want to learn as much as I can. So anybody out there who's like, come on, this is like rudimentary, like elementary stuff. (laughs) One more important thing I wanted to point out. Michael and I are talking about doing a, uh, a night at a restaurant in the Timonium or Cockeysville area to have fans come by and other analysts come by and present material they have. If you're interested in doing that, either as a presenter or as just a participant, and be some minimal facilities charge, probably around $10, and you otherwise you pay for your drinks and your meal, they're going to give us a private room where we can have uh, HDMI hookups, we can, we can present from our computers directly, and we're going to talk some football and have a lot of fun. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. I'm going to try and make that happen in about the next six weeks. Um, and I want to make sure you either contact Michael or contact me directly uh, if you would like to participate in that, because we're going to have a limit to about 60 people for that. Yeah, that's going to be fun. That's going to be awesome. Uh, we've talked about it uh, for a while now. Ken, is, is it was his, his brainchild, and he's really kind of spearheaded it, and I'm just here to help out in whatever way I can. But I, I'm really looking forward to it, because I think there's a lot of good work 
uh, being done out there. I see it on Twitter. I think, Ken, you see even more of it than I do uh, as people may contact you directly. But I think there's a lot of good stuff being done in the Ravens football community, and uh, I'd like to to get it out there. You know, let's just keep growing this and, you know, sort of get people out there and uh, share, you know, share this even more. Okay, and, the, um, and there's uh, a new uh, there's a new Madden game coming out, so I need to see those breakdowns of how the Madden uh, plays now have adjusted with Lamar Jackson. Oh, that's Josh Mustako's area, right? He's the, he's yes. the guy I think who came out a, a, yes. a, a somewhat crazy guy who uh, who, had come, uh, who mapped all of the Ravens plays for a season, I believe, into Madden or for some number right. of games. And he want he had another thing he wanted to present, by the way. So maybe that's right. the that's where he can do it, or maybe he'll do it on the show. I, I like the thinking out of the box and trying to find a new way to look at Ravens football. Yeah, so. I bring my son to play him in Madden. Right. I don't want to play him. <laughs> I've ne- never played the game. <laughs> All right, guys. Alrighty. Well, we will uh, be back as needed to do some more film study. Have a good evening. Yeah, thanks, guys. Introducing the Lowe's List for Innovation. While our aisles are filled with innovative products, we've selected our favorites just for you. Like the exclusive Whirlpool washer with industry-first two-in-one removable agitator. We love this washer because you can customize any load. And with other smart features to streamline your laundry routine, this product is a must-have for families. Shop the full Lowe's list of top picks at Lowe's.com. Lowe's, home to any budget, home to any possibility. U.S. only. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.